You're listening to Work Tape, episode 74. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Work Tape podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell. We've got Isaac Gruben Grover once again, and we are here wrapping up the year of 2022. Now it is in the rear view as we're moving into 2023. 2022, honestly, was quite an eventful year for music in many aspects, whether it's musicians that passed away, such as Taylor Hawkins or Meatloaf. Oh, yeah. Or uh, the return prominence of bands that were huge in the earlier part of the 2000s that are all of a sudden making a comeback, such as uh, Blink-182 and Avril Lavigne, and of course, Kanye. But all of those can be episodes in themselves. But another artist that had quite an eventful 2022, not only for just some released music, but also in relation to a tour, was none other than Taylor Swift. Yes, Taylor Swift put out Midnight's, which was actually a pretty decent album. Was it on the level of Folklore and Evermore? No, but it was certainly interesting to hear Taylor and Jack Antoff once again getting at it. She has a tendency to just release a record. Well, at this point with her profile, she can do the Beyonce route and kind of drop a surprise album out of nowhere. Yeah. Which Beyonce actually put out a great album this year too. Renaissance is actually a really good album, a a nice throwback album that throws back to the disco era, just different forms of dance music, house music. Okay. There's even a track with Nile Rodgers on it, which is Cuff It Up. It's not disco without Nile Rodgers, that's for sure. Yeah, so obviously Beyonce had a lot of respect and homage for a lot of the dance music that most likely she grew up listening to. And uh, that album is really, really great. I hope that that album actually wins some Grammys because I think it's probably one of the more deserving albums up for Grammys this year, especially considering that The Weeknd has once again decided not to submit to the Academy, and so has Silk Sonic. Both of those artists have decided to not submit their music to the Grammys. Thus, we're left with Beyonce, Harry Styles, Bad Bunny, who also had an incredible year in his own right, being uh, the most streamed artist in the world. Uh, But once again, we'll save that for another topic, or another episode, rather, because we can go into extensive detail with that. I definitely listened to him a little bit. Yes, Bad Bunny is definitely making waves in terms of the Latin and like Latin trap kind of wave that's been going on. And the dude is killing it. He's selling out stadiums and is the most streamed artist of the year. And hopefully, actually, he wins some Grammys, too. I think it would be really nice to see him actually uh, walk away with a couple Grammys. It's that reggaeton, Afrobeat type stuff. Yeah, because he did have such a profound impact, I think, on the mainstream reggaeton and the mainstream kind of thing. And kind of doing his own spin with it a bit. Anyways, back to Taylor Swift. So in conjunction with the release of Midnight. Taylor Swift finally announced that she's going to go back on tour after, what, five years of not being on tour? I think it's been that long, yeah. It's been a long, long time. Basically, in the amount of time that Frank Ocean would take to drop an album is how long it's been (laughs) since Taylor Swift hasn't gone on tour. 
so of course it was a huge deal and in preparation of the era's tour many of fans flocked to Ticketmaster trying to get tickets only to find out that they struck out and it was pretty disastrous in terms of things from Ticketmaster's end mostly just because you would have thought that they would have anticipated the fact that one of the biggest artists in the world has finally decided to announce a tour after five years. You would have thought that you would have had algorithms, infrastructure, servers in place to prevent such a disastrous rollout from happening. But no, that's not what happened. Yeah, I saw a lot of angry people on my feed. Absolutely. A lot of angry white people is basically what happened. <laughs> Um, the Chardonnay moms were not happy in this case. And who can blame them? Because you get, you know, waited in a queue and you're just waiting there in perpetual limbo. And then Ticketmaster comes out and ends up scrapping all of the other pre-sales that were supposed to happen because we couldn't anticipate this level of traffic. We couldn't anticipate this level of demand, which is just like I said, kind of ridiculous in regards to. Ticketmaster's end, mostly just because you would have thought, like I said, Taylor Swift <laughs> would have had some preparations for it, but no. And honestly, this whole kind of fiasco has really made people question a little bit how they're going to get tickets for shows sometimes. And um, it brings a general discussion up in regards to maybe a disruption in the ticketing industry, you know, needed, you know, because Ticketmaster has kind of been on the forefront for quite a while. It's really been one of the only legitimate choices for quite a while. I mean, you do have the rise of some apps like StubHub or SeatGeek or um, TickPick, which sounds dirty when you say that. Uh, <laughs> That's the worst name ever. <laughs> it's really bad, but yeah, it is. no fees, though. At least you don't get completely done over on the fees using that app. I've actually used that app a couple times to get tickets for live shows. And actually it was a really smooth process, but where did my tickets come from? Ticketmaster, you know? So yep. really in terms of kind of one of the only legitimate services, it's basically Ticketmaster. And then you do have StubHub and a few others, but it's really Ticketmaster. I'm surprised there's no Tickster. <laughs> right. Like Flickster. <laughs> Your Napster. <laughs> right. Exactly. But once again, Isaac, that kind of brings up my point, which is, I think that there's a lot of people who say that maybe a disruption like Napster had in the world of like music listening, music downloading, music consumption, there are people who might be calling for a similar type of disruption in the way that you get concert tickets. Because what's ending up happening is that a lot of times these tickets are really only afforded to kind of the wealthy or the well-off. Yep. And by the time that, you know, kind of the common diehard fan wants to go ahead and try to get tickets for an artist that they've been waiting at this point years to see, either because they decided not to go on tour and or the pandemic in terms of delaying live music, you have this situation where they continue to strike out. And that's actually extremely evident in the case of Steve Lacey artist who was originally part of the internet, which is a really good collective of artists, actually, I would say. For those who haven't listened to the internet, if you're looking for good soul, R&B, kind of independent type stuff, 
kind of in the same vein of almost like a Tyler. Well, you like SZA and um, Samfa or FKA Twigs, like if you were going to listen to stuff like that. Um, I mean, like more like a playlist, not necessarily the exact same genre. Yeah, because FKA Twigs is more experimental than that. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, SZA, like I said, I mentioned Tyler, the creator a little bit. There's a lot of overlap in that independent R&B space. True. Um, SZA put out a great album too, actually, finally, after all this time. She's consistent. I mean, she's not consistent in how frequently she posts, but she's consistent, I guess. Well, and the thing is with that is it was more of a problem with TDE, you know, Top Dog Entertainment, the label that she's on, and the fact that they seem to be a bit controlling in regards to... A bit. Uh, and her album is called Control, so that's even funnier. <laughs> but that's just great. I didn't even think about it until I just said it. You lost control for a second. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in, in that case, it wasn't even that she didn't want to put out music. It was just that she wasn't really in a position where she felt supported to put out music until, of course, recently. And oh, don't even get me started on the ticket costs for Scissors tour now. That's like two, three hundred dollars for nosebleed seats. It's pretty. So she ran. <laughs> ran away with people's cash. Pretty much. But once again, back to the whole idea of, you know, the Taylor Swift fiasco with Ticketmaster and uh, what I was going to bring up in Steve Lacey, he blew up significantly due to TikTok and his song Bad Habit um, reaching number one, mostly through its rotation on TikTok. And the problem in regards to ticketing was that because he reached a big new audience on TikTok who really only knew him for that one song, they ended up buying up pretty much a majority of his tickets for his tour. And he was not playing, you know, SoFi Stadium like Taylor Swift is. He's playing, you know, just smaller theaters, you know, because he's a more independent artist. And what ended up happening basically was the TikTok crowd pretty much brought up all the tickets. And then they showed up to the shows. They only knew Bad Habit. And then when he played something else, it was crickets, just nothing. And that kind of creates a problem in the sense of, okay, with the people who are actually showing up to the shows, how many are there because they are fans of the artist? And how many are there because of a TikTok craze or for clout or you know, to say that they've been there. You know what I mean? Oh my goodness. Yeah. People like that. I'm sorry, dude. People like that. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. People who are just so big on like the attention for something. It's weird because it's like either you like something or you don't, but I don't understand this whole thing where you got to do things just for the attention of it. Mm -hmm. I find that odd. Right. Well, a lot of it is coming down from like how kind of social media has influenced the way that we experience things too, where there's kind of a tendency to like want to film or document everything to kind of, you know, further establish that you were there, you know. Technically, that stereotype has been around for centuries. So this is not a new advent. However, it's annoying how it becomes more easily perpetuated by way of social media. Absolutely. I mean, you want a prime example of that. Look at the footage from Coachella. I mean, especially in the first weekend of Coachella, where it's mostly just like influencers, you know, the kind of burning man crowd where it's like, I'm going on an adventure with daddy's money. And now I'm showing Mm -hmm. up to the festival. And I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, going ahead and 
you know, basically doing it for the clout and doing it for, you know, just kind of to say that you were there as opposed to really getting in with the music. But yeah, I kind of agree with what a lot of people have said regarding kind of the whole ticketing situation and how it comes to like accessibility, especially for those who are really passionate to see an artist. Mm -hmm. It's really unfortunate that most of the time, as of recent, they're going to end up kind of striking out, mostly because of kind of some fatal flaws that are within. It's kind of like a bidding war. Pretty much. And that's how the resale market kind of is too, especially when you go on, you know. Yep. Yep. Because actually that's really the thing. It's not even that you can't go to concerts. It's just more of like you're kind of forced to pay a resale if you want to go. And that, you know, base value ticket of like 50, 60 bucks becomes 200 because of like dynamic pricing and, you know, demand and whatnot. I won't lie. Most of the best concerts I've been to are like 30 bucks or less. <laughs> Most of them. Yeah. I know you've been to some really nice concerts before, but for me, I feel like a lot of these, you know, they don't need to be that expensive. You know what you're kind of saying? No, I, I very much agree with you, actually. I mean, I would say I've had a balance for every, you know, show that I went to, like seeing the weekend at SoFi, I saw Anderson Pack at, you know, San Diego State for, you know, 40 bucks or whatever. Nice. Yeah, before he got with, you know, Bruno Mars and all of a sudden his ticket prices are now ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, um, funny how things can change just with basically one album and pairing up with Bruno. So I think there's a balance. I definitely like a more intimate, affordable show. A lot of times you do get really amazing experiences because you are in a more intimate setting. And so mm-hmm. therefore you feel kind of closer with the artist and the people there, I think are definitely just so much better and you can talk with them and they're more, they're just more polite. But I mean, you made a good point. It definitely is a balance because it's so case by case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some are terrible. Like some you regret paying five bucks to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and some like, you know, you pay a hundred bucks and you're like, Let's do that again, right? Right, exactly. So it really just depends. And that's kind of like where the, the subjectivity, I think, of music like comes into. Mm-hmm. But major artists are overrated when it comes to concerts. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, I, I like tons of headlining or just big, big artists. But a lot of the ones that I found the most enjoyable really kind of come from the 30 to 40 range. Yeah. They're just fun. Even 15, a little bit but definitely the 30 to 40, which is what, you know, you kind of mentioned as well. Yeah. But I mean, I wonder, do you think it's because like maybe the stakes are a little bit lower too? And the fact that they're not playing for arena of, you know, tens of thousands of people or a stadium of maybe potentially hundreds of thousands of people. I think that's the thing is it's totally up to the user or the person going dude. For me personally, and no offense if this is you, if you are all about like the experience, the seats, you know, the amenities, I do not give a care about amenities because I really just, I just like the music, you know, and I get it, you know, standing at a concert for hours is a lot. So I can understand where you want to sit down, Hmm. but for the most part, and you go to even like the biggest concerts of all time, a lot of people stand. Yeah. So you know, I just feel like it's sharing this huge, sweaty stadium with people, right? And so I feel like 
I'm not sure if it's worth paying all that much money for, you know, I mean, you know, what was it? There's like diminishing returns. A law of diminishing returns. Yeah. Yeah. I almost, I was going to say law and I was like, wait, I should have said law. Yeah. It's a law of diminishing returns. Like right. you spend a certain amount and guess what? It's like, as soon as I go over 50, it's got to be good. Right. I mean, and I know you might think, well, that's cheap. Like, well, to me, yes, maybe a hundred, but I still think 50 is a good low standard. Right. That's why 30 to me is a bargain. Right. I've seen everything, everything consistently for 30 bucks. I didn't get to see, well, no, I did get to see Foles and I think they were around 40 bucks mm-hmm. and that was really great. And, you know, I think they're a class act and I've seen other people before, but I find that, you know, you stand, right? You just stand at those $40 concerts and, you know, they're really good. And for me personally, I care so much more about the artist playing than any amenities. In other words, I don't like the fact that they kind of get you, right? That they're kind of like, coaxing you to pay it because it's at a better venue mm-hmm. but for me i'm like i don't care if it's a better venue am i going to get my money's worth out of a 500 dollars ticket for an artist i've always wanted to see to be honest i mean unless i'm like a millionaire i probably wouldn't kill to see them is what i'm saying i guess and, and i think that also kind of comes with being more of a studio rat i know you are as well but i think i'm so studio driven that i don't i don't know i've wanted to see a lot of my favorite artists before live like I'm not saying I've never wanted to do that, but this idea that it makes you more of a fan, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't rule me. Mm -hmm. And for some people, yes, they feel like their loyalty as a fan is like, well, I got to go see them. Like if that's you, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I sleep really well at night that my wallet's good, you know, (laughs) and that I just enjoy their music. Being a fan to me is liking more than five songs, but well, probably more than 10 or 20 songs by an artist, you know, that's what being a fan is to me. So I guess it's defined differently from individual to individual. But for me, it's like, you know, I've never been to a Foo Fighters concert, Mm. free or paid. And I'm one of the, I'm a pretty big fan. You know what I mean? Right. I know the songs, you know, I can play them. Mm. That's what being a fan is to me. And honestly, I don't think I would really pay upwards of something hundred dollars to see Blink or Foo Fighters. I mean, unless I could really, really, really justify it, but I'm not going to break my back trying to get those tickets. Right. And I think that's kind of the thing where, you know, that is the fine line of fandom and kind of, once again, why I agree. And it's personal, right? You know, I'm not going to tell people what to do with their money. Of course not. But I don't give into the pressure of it. No. I don't feel like I'm missing out is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's definitely like FOMO. Yes, yes. When it comes to live shows and just the way that we document and we post to the world on social media, Mm -hmm. like FOMO is perpetuated all the time. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And that's the thing. And I think that's in big part, too. I mean, why I think there does need to be maybe some sort of, you know, Napster equivalent to ticketing because just like how music consumption back in the day was kind of stagnant and not really going anywhere and not really being, you know, innovative and not really kind of reflecting the times. I think that ticketing is something that has been in that exact position for a incredibly long time. And I think that a disruption is needed in that aspect of you know, live events, you know, and especially with the way that, you know, we're bouncing back into live events following the pandemic. Like, I think that now is about as good a time as any to really have some sort of better way Mm -hmm. to 
to where people are able to at least have a chance of, you know, seeing some of their favorite artists at what I think is a far more reasonable price of the tickets and not have this kind of insane markup like sneakers, you know, like the sneakers come out and they're a set price. And then because it's limited stock or whatever, and they're not making a bunch, then, you know, you have to sell your kidney for some Yeezys, which I'm sure some Kanye fans have done exactly that. So, Hey, I gotta be uh, fair here. You know, super fans, I kind of get it. Right. I mean, I'm not really a super fan of anyone, by the way. That's the thing is I don't feel like I got to grovel or anything. I just feel like, oh, cool. Someone inspires me. Great. That's it. You know, I mean, of course, I'd like to hear some of these men and women who have highly inspired me. I mean, for me, it's probably Jesus Christ. Like I do anything to touch his robe. Yeah. But aside from him, I'm kind of like, cool, you're an artist. Yeah. I mean, Bob Marley's the same way. I would have loved to have seen him live, but I probably just wanted to shake his hand and say, good on you, man. Appreciate you. Peace. Right. You know, I don't need to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars to see him live. But the thing is, I respect the fact that, yeah, you know, some people really want to do that. You know, they want to pay 300, 400, sometimes even a thousand bucks. I think it's a bit steep, but if you have the money and you budgeted that, or you're getting it for your kid and they really want to see Taylor Swift or whoever wants in their life, I get it. But aside from that, the problem is kind of what you're saying is that they take advantage of people by like, I feel like not everyone's a super fan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to have like a few super fans, but like, does everyone need to pay super fan prices for things? No. You know, I mean, it's a company's liberty to price things the way they want. And I respect that as a business owner myself, but it's like, mm-hmm. it becomes outrageous where they're just ultra greedy. Yeah. And you brought up um, Bob Marley. <laughs> I always will. Yeah, there's an exhibit coming up. There's an exhibition of Bob Marley. No, don't tell me it's a wax figure. (laughs) No, it's not. It's an exhibition in LA of a bunch of like unseen artifacts or something. Um, It's going to be in LA. I think it's actually this month. Is his Gibson going to be there? I don't know. Apparently there's a bunch of... Hmm. I saw it on TikTok, man. I saw an advertisement for it on TikTok. I'll look it up. Apparently it's an exhibition of Bob Marley's stuff. There's like a bunch of unforeseen or never before seen like photos and artifacts. I think like a pair of his shoes are going to be there. If it's an instrument, I'll see it because I do like instruments and I'm not that far from LA, but I don't get this whole like, oh, it's, it's someone's hat. Right. Or it's their chewed gum. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's their toilet. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, to be honest with you, I went to an exhibition thing. I went to the Tupac exhibition in LA, which was dope, by the way. The Tupac exhibition was really great. Sure. Because it kind of gave you more insight into him as an artist. But the exhibitions like that, especially if the artist has been dead for a long time, yeah, I'm kind of like, how much of this is exploitive and how much of this is like actually, you know, going to give you more insight into the artist. And that was the thing I really liked about Tupac's one is that I think his family was pretty heavily involved in it. So it was way more respectful and realistic and it wasn't creepy. Yeah. Right. As opposed to like the Bob Marley one, which, <sighs> which at least from what I've seen, I'm not sure how much of the Marley family was really involved in it. Dude, the Bob Marley and Kurt Cobain stuff. And it's crazy. Cause they're like my top five, top three, maybe top. Yeah. No top five. But 
people are creepy with them. It's like, chill out, let them be dead. You know, I, I just, I think it's weird. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I think that's like kind of a, an interesting topic for another episode too, is just the whole idea of like posthumous releases in music, actually, in terms of the way that they'll release posthumous music and remix it, but then also like exhibitions and museums, stuff like that. But basically wrapping up our end of this conversation, if anything that the Taylor Swift Ticketmaster debacle really showed is it really pointed out the, what is it? The kinks in the armor or something? Yeah. It really pointed out a lot of the flaws that Ticketmaster has as a platform. It pointed out the flaws that the whole ticketing kind of industry really has. And so I really hope that in 2023 that they have better rollouts and that somebody can come up with a better system for fans to easily access tickets for these shows. Amen. That's kind of what I'm thinking. I couldn't have said it better. Anyways, it's been another edition of the Work Tape Podcast and covering this crazy year that was 2022. And uh, this is just the first of what I think is going to be many different installments in regards to what it had to offer. And like I said, I just think that hopefully uh, we'll see some well-needed changes to the industry in regards to live events. And so... Um, with that being said, this has been the Worktape Podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell, Isaac Rubin Grover. Worktape Podcast forever. Forever. Later.